Um, my name's uh, Mike. I'm one of the leaders here at the Globe Church. It's great to be with you this afternoon uh, as we come to God's Word. Um, it's a very sad day because we are at the end of John's Gospel. Four years and we're there. Um, so we're in the last bit of John's Gospel. So if you've got a Bible, please turn to it. Just to say, we love John so much, we're going to sneak in another one on the 18th, which John is going to do. Um, but this is the last kind of bit where we see a chunk of the passage together, of, of the book together. So if you could take up your Bibles, John chapter 21, uh, I'm looking at verse 13, 15, sorry, on to 25. <clears throat> when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Great. So keep that passage open. Uh, we're going to look at it more closely together. But as we start, I, um, I wanted to start with this, this idea. I don't like... Seeing things getting broken, right? I love seeing things being restored. Um, does anyone know the TV show, The Repair Shop? Thank you, whoever that was. No one else? Oh, a few people, great. I feel like I'm moving into middle-aged them. Um, it's a great show, Repair Shop. It's, about, it's a show about fixing things, a repair shop. And it, you, you watch in, in amazement as things get fixed, things that are broken, things that seem worthless are repaired by these skilled hands. This sounds exciting, no? Yeah. No? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, John T. Um, look, there's a recent episode with the king, the king of the of United Kingdom, Prince, well, Prince Charles back then, king now. And they fixed this ancient clock of his. And it's just sitting there, it, can't, it has no energy, nothing, it can't do anything. And they do this stuff to it. It's amazing as you watch it. And then you hear it ticking again doing what it was supposed to do, restore, telling the time again, making these nice bong, bong sounds, as it should. 
Beautiful, no? I don't feel the enthusiasm in the room. Okay. But you know what? If that's not exciting, let me tell you what is exciting. I think it's really exciting when you see restorations of people. People who are broken being restored. Granted, it doesn't always happen, but when we do see it happen, don't you love those stories of addicts who have become clean and have gone on to help others? Stories of refugees who've gone on to make a life of something and to help others. We love those sort of stories. Full restoration of a human is a powerful thing. And this afternoon, we're going to see one of the most beautiful and significant restorations in human history of how Jesus comes to restore a man who is deeply broken and ashamed and restores him to a whole new life. Perhaps that's how you've come in this afternoon, feeling broken and ashamed. Then listen to Jesus, just watch him. Perhaps you're new to Christian things and you're gazing in, wondering what it's all about. Well, then I'd love you to see the beauty of Jesus' restorative work on this man's life, which shows us why Jesus is so worth following and what it means for people who follow him. Now, let me just recap what we've got to in John's gospel. This is a little bit, this is the last little bit of, of John's gospel that we have left. But it's quite funny. See, John's gospel seems like it should have ended back in chapter 20. If you flick back to verse 31, it says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And it feels like a fitting place to end the gospel. But then there's this little extra bit. And a lot of people have asked, why is this here? Was this just an afterthought? Was this someone else writing and they just tacked it on? But actually, the more I looked at it, it's so significant. It's like one of those storylines. It's not the main plot, but it's such a significant subplot. It needs to be finished to help us see the the picture more clearly. The focus of John's gospel is very much on Jesus. Belief in him, that is central to John's gospel. But there's this subplot of Peter that needs to be concluded that teaches us so much more of our relationship with Jesus. And the big thing it teaches us is this, that Jesus can restore even the most broken people. We saw last week how these um, disciples went out to go fishing and they end up having breakfast at the beach with Jesus, the risen Lord, the one who's come back from the dead. And we saw how Jesus is dragging these disciples back into this new reality. But there's an elephant in the room. What about Peter? Here is Peter who swam 100 yards to get to Jesus. He's drenched, sitting there, eating some bread and fish, having a meal with Jesus. The thing is, the last time he had a meal with Jesus was on the final night before Jesus was about to be crucified. And on that dreadful night, in those final moments, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, had denied him, abandoned Jesus in his greatest hour of need. People had come and asked him, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're a follower of Jesus. And Peter had flatly denied it, not once, not twice, but three times. And here he is sitting again, having a meal with Jesus. Can you imagine how he must have been feeling? The usually bullish, vocal Peter suddenly feels sheepish, quietly sitting there wondering, what does Jesus think of me right now? Just at that moment, they finish eating and Jesus turns to Peter. I mean, Jesus is gracious. At least least he's let him finish his fish and bread before he confronts him. But imagine if you were there as one of the other disciples, wondering, what is Jesus going to say to Peter? So you'd start thinking, Jesus has every right to tell Peter to jog on. 
I don't need backstabbers and betrayers in my team. That's sort of our culture, isn't it? Cancel him, cancel him. Or you could Twitter him. He could have grilled him, challenged everything Peter had promised, shown him exactly where he'd failed, publicly shame him right there in front of everybody. But we see in this passage the gentleness, the pastoral wisdom of Jesus. It's amazing. Whenever you read the the gospel accounts of who Jesus is, what he's like, you see Jesus is so good at asking questions. And he does exactly that here. A simple question that is so exposing and yet so comforting. So let's dive in. Verse 15, Jesus starts, Simon, son of John. One thing here, it's a small but important detail. Last week we saw this group of fishermen who'd gone out to fish in John 21 verse 2. These were the names we find out early in John chapter 1. And what John is doing is he's, he's taking us back to the beginning. He's showing us that these same disciples are, bringing, are being brought back into this new beginning with Jesus. This new reality with the resurrected Lord. Jesus is reestablishing the early call of the disciples back in John chapter 1. And among them is Peter. In John chapter 1, verse 42, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Simon, son of John, that is who you are. You will be called Cephas or Peter. And so here we are back again. Jesus readdressing Simon, son of John, once more. So Zoe, he's saying, look, Peter, let's get back to the basics. Let's start again. And there he asks that simple question. Do you love me? You saw as I read it, he asks that question three times. But the first time he adds these three little words, did you notice what he says? Verse 15, do you love me more than these? Now again, lots of discussion around this. What does he mean by more than these? It could be the fish. Do you love me more than food? If you know anything about me, I love food. That's hard. Or it could be about the boats. Do you love me more than your career? Maybe Jesus is speaking of idols. But I think it's more likely that he's referring to the disciples. Do you love me more than these guys here? Because Peter had been that disciple who had said, Jesus, even if all will fall away, I never will. Jesus, I will lay my life down for you. That is what Peter said. See, he was always the one who had this pride that he loved Jesus more than the other, the other disciples, that he would go stronger and further. He was the leader. But this strong, proud leader had just a few days earlier denied Jesus three times. And so Jesus exposes Peter with this one simple question. Peter, are you really sure you love me more than the other disciples? He strips away all that pride. Everything Peter thought he had more than the others. He doesn't do this to shame Peter, but because he wants to get to the very core to what really matters. Look, it's not about whether you love me more than the other disciples. It's not about whether you do more stuff or you talk more boldly. I just want to know, Peter, do you love me? Is your heart for me? Peter's response is stark. See, the old Peter would have said, oh, Jesus, yes, I've shouted from the rooftop so much. Look at my battle rooms. Remember how I cut off Malchus's ear. Look at all the stuff I did. But Peter can't say that here. He realizes there's nothing in his hands that he can bring to Jesus except this one thing, his heart. 
Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter's pride is stripped away. His strength, his wisdom, his successes all fall into the shadows and all he has before Jesus is the nakedness of his heart. That is all he can offer Jesus right now. You know that that I love you. So let me ask you this. If if Jesus were here right now and were to look at you and ask you this question, do you love me? How would you respond? Man, I found this so hard thinking about it. I found it so easy to be like Peter. Every temptation was to say, but, but Jesus, look at the things I've done. My pride to say, I quit a, a good career to come and serve the church. Surely, surely, Jesus, that's proof. Look at all these things I do for you, Jesus. See, we have every temptation to look at ourselves and think that I love Jesus because I do all these things, because I'm so committed to these Christian things. It's like in those rom-coms or those um, soppy series like This Is Us. Do you know it? Hey, here we go. Some people know it. Man, I'm sharing the extent of the rubbish TV I watched today. But there are these characters like Kevin. He's about to marry this woman who's carrying his child. And she asks him the night before, do you love me? And he says, oh, look at all this stuff I've done for you. I bought you a house. I'm getting all this. I love spending time with you. Yes, but do you love me? That simple question strips everything away, all his pride, all the things that he's done. Set aside all those things that you've said and done in the past, those things that you're proud of doing as a follower of Jesus. Where is your heart? Do you love Jesus? Jesus goes on to ask him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Then again a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Just a quick side note here. Some people who've read this passage or have heard it preached might have heard people go really big on the word for love here being different in the Greek. I'm not sure, I'm not convinced of that. I don't think we need to dig into all that. John uses those words interchangeably. But this is what I'm convinced of. This is what I'm sure about because it says it here. Verse 17, the third time Jesus asked, Peter was hurt. Peter is hurt. It's not hurt in the sense, you know, when someone kind of goads you with sarcastic British banter. You know, I like how burnt this toast is, or it really tastes great, but should we get a pizza? I'm not speaking from experience. Um, But this is actually gut-wrenching pain for Peter. The word there is literally grieved. His soul is in mourning. Because... Jesus asking three times reminds Peter of one of the worst things he's ever done in his life. Come back to the beach with me and you see Peter soaked, having swum, trying to get warm. In the air is the smell of burning embers. I realize that's not helpful for us right now. And he's asking us, but he's asked a simple question three times. Just a few nights before, He had again been stood around a fire trying to get warm. The smell of burning embers in the air. Where he'd been asked three times, you're a follower of Jesus, aren't you? Time and time again, he said explicitly, even angrily, I am most certainly not. And so as he's being asked here again three times by Jesus, each time that question is asked, it seems to dig deeper into exposing the truth of Peter's failings. 
If the first question had shattered his pride that he stood behind, the third question was now digging out the failings he tried to bury. Proud, bold Peter, the leader of the disciples, his pride had been shed, and now his failings were being exposed. Through a simple question, do you love me? But the beauty of the question is this. Just as it exposes Peter's failings, it drives Peter to Jesus. Because every time Peter is asked, he can feel the blood rising, his heart beating faster, his tongue getting drier, I'm being found out, I'm being found out. As Peter is exposed, all he can do is repeat once again, but Lord, I love you. As each question cuts into his pride, exposes his failings, he is left with nothing but his heart for Jesus. And notice what he says the final time Jesus asks him. Verse 17, he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Here is Peter holding his hands up, broken and exposed. You know everything, Jesus. You know exactly what I'm like. You know how proud I am. You know exactly how I failed you. Not once, not twice, but three times. You know exactly how I felt right at that moment when you looked at me through your blood-stained eyes after I denied you the third time. You know exactly how I feel right now as I sit before you. And yet you know, Jesus, that I've run to you. You know, Jesus, I've jumped into the water because this is all I know, that I love you, that there is no one else, no place else I want to be except at your feet, Jesus. You know all things. You know that I love you. See, Peter has been broken, stripped, to realize that his only hope was in Jesus. And Jesus really did know everything. He knew all about Peter's pride the day that he met him. He knew that Peter would go on to deny him. That is exactly what he told Peter. And he went on to say, Peter, that is why I'm going to be praying for you. More than that, he laid his life down for Peter. He bled for Peter. That is how much Jesus loves Peter. That is how much Jesus loves us. See, Jesus is taking Peter through this journey of the cross and the resurrection. He wants Peter to see that to truly follow Jesus, all of his pride, all of his failings need to be nailed to the cross. He needed Peter to see that to be a part of the new reality of resurrection life with Jesus, Peter had to see his old self stripped down and find his new self in Christ alone. Peter needs to know that the only way he could ever be restored is through the blood of Jesus. Now here's the thing. Some of us sitting here will be like that Peter of old. Some of us will be sitting here with that veneer of pride, perhaps because of our background, the churches we've been to, the training we've had, the things and the ministries that we've done. I know I can be like this. I've already told you I'm proud of the fact that I left a, a good career in the city to come and serve the church. I can be proud of the teaching I've had, some of the people I've ministered with. But Jesus was cutting my heart away this week, saying, but Mike, do you love me? Do you love Jesus? For others of us sitting here, you will perhaps be feeling quite exposed right now. You will know that you have failed Jesus. Even this week, even this morning, your heart would have drifted to deny Jesus, to want to say, I don't want to follow, I want to run. 
even tempted to betray and deny the very Jesus who laid his life down for you. Some of us will be in battle with deep-rooted sins that pressure us and lead us away from him. Some of us will be overwhelmed with darkness in our minds and our hearts that make us doubt. Am I even worthy to be with Jesus? Do you know what I found most helpful this week as I prepared this sermon? When my heart drifted, when I found myself in sin, when my mind was captivated with things other than God, I kept hearing Jesus' voice asking me, Mike, do you love me? Not as a judgment call. This this isn't Jesus, Jesus saying, how dare you not love me? He's calling you gently, exposing your heart, your need of him, and beckoning you back to him, to himself. You may be feeling utterly rubbish right now, totally unworthy, sheepish, as your pride is cut away, as your sin is exposed, and yet the fact that you're sitting here wanting to see Jesus, wanting to hear him, to sit at his feet, that is a wonderful sign that your heart is for him. You know all things, Lord. You know that I love you. Come to him. Come to the one who gently restores you, who laid down his life for you, who invites you to come and eat with him, to follow him, to live for him. Now, I feel like at this point, there's there's something I need to mention. Because in the past few years, there have been various failings in leadership in the Christian world. And I know as some of us hear this, it's difficult for us to think. Does that mean everyone should be restored? So I want to make a couple of things clear here. The first thing I want to be really clear on is that Jesus' love is greater. That Jesus' love is restorative of people who have fallen and failed like Peter. We need to remember that the gospel is a gospel of forgiveness and grace. But that said, other parts of the Bible make it clear To quote an author called David Mathis, he puts it this way, restoration of fellowship with Jesus and the church is not the same as restoration to leadership. Leaders are held to higher standards, James 3.1, and there are characteristics of leaders in letters to Timothy and Titus that make it clear, that suggest that there is wisdom and it's right that people aren't always restored back to positions of leadership. You can't just say sorry and expect to be back to where you were. Now, I get this stuff's hard. If it's weighing on you, I'd love to chat this through with you afterwards, to pray with you. But for now, I'd love you to sort of park that if you can, to focus on what Jesus is pointing out here. And he's pointing out for somebody like Peter, for somebody who has denied Jesus and failed him publicly, Jesus is stripping him down and exposing his pride and his failings to get to his heart. Do you really love me, Peter? That is what Jesus wants. That's his desire. He doesn't want your impressive gifts, your ministry success, your skills, your leadership strategies, your massive sacrifices. He wants your heart. He wants to know that you love him. So how would you answer that question this afternoon? Do you love Jesus? If you're here looking into Christianity, if you're lingering on the edge of doubt, I hope that you see the tender mercy of Jesus because he could have easily turned Peter away, but he doesn't. Even though we sin and fail him, he comes to ask, but do you love me? Not in spite, but because he wants to expose your heart that needs him and he wants to draw you to himself. I've got to warn you, please don't ignore Jesus' questioning because Jesus does warn that if you keep running from him, if you keep turning from him, then on the other side, 
there will be judgment for your failings. But if you can answer today, yes, Lord, you know I love you. You know all things. You know that I love you. Then know that Jesus restores you. That he welcomes you into new life with him. That is exactly what he does for Simon, son of John, here. For Peter. Restored back to follow Jesus once again. To serve alongside Jesus once again. He is welcomed into this new resurrection life with Jesus. And I wanted to end with um, some specifics that Jesus tells us to do for those who are restored, who love Jesus. Because I think that's another reason why John has put this here in his gospel. Because it almost acts like his version of the Great Commission. Very quickly, we're going to just look at three things that he calls us to. So those restored by Jesus are called firstly to feed. See, each time Peter responded that he loved Jesus, Jesus gives him a task to do. Twice he says, feed my lambs and my sheep, and then once he says, take care of my sheep. I want you to picture a a good shepherd. We might not be familiar with that because we've never done it before, but you can still picture it in your minds. What does a good shepherd do? Well, one of the first things they do is they want to make make sure the sheep are well fed. They look for green pastures and still waters. And so he's saying to Peter, look, I know you love me. Here I am restoring you. And now is the time for you to feed my sheep. This is actually a huge privilege because back in John chapter 10, Jesus said he is the good shepherd. And what this good shepherd is doing, he's saying, Peter, go and feed my sheep. He's entrusting to Peter, sort of like an assistant shepherd, go and do what I'm doing for my sheep. To those who love Christ, he calls us to feed his flock. Now, sure, that, that is a role for church leaders and pastors. You might think that. But I think this, there is an aspect for this to apply to all of Jesus' followers. We are called to feed one another. How? John chapter 6, Jesus is the bread of life. We're told to feast on him who is the word. We are called to feed one another through God's word. That is exactly what we do week in, week out here at church. We want to feast on the word of God together. We want to be speaking the truth of God's word to one another throughout the weeks. That is what we do and we embody when we gather together to eat of the Lord's table table here. It's the physical word, as it were, the symbol of Jesus' body and blood given to restore us that remind us of all that Jesus did. But it's not only about teaching and feeding of the word. Jesus also calls his shepherds to do what? Not only to feed their sheep with nice grass, but also to protect, to take care of the flock. To protect them from the enemy, from wolves and bears that come to prowl and prey on them. That means we need to be protecting one another. It means that we want to keep one another falling off the wrong path, falling off the edge of cliffs. So we want to be pushing each other. Not, sorry, not over the cliff. <laughs> Should have picked a different phrase. We want to be pushing each other back onto the, pulling each other back onto the right path. Let's be doing that as a church. Those who love Christ, those who are redeemed and restored by him, we need to be feeding each other. After the service, talk about what have we learned from John's gospel in the last four years, if you can remember it all. Speak the truth of Christ often to one another. Even as we take the Lord's Supper a little bit later, don't just think, oh, this is something I do between me and God. But as you do, pray for your brothers and sisters as they approach. 
Because every person who steps up is a reminder of how, how Jesus has restored that person. How this is another person who's saying, yes, Lord, you know all things, I love you too. And let's be pastoring one another. Let's come alongside one another to encourage, to pray with each other, to share life together, to protect each other, challenge each other, hold one another to account, to confess to one another, and to remind each other of the great love of our Savior. Secondly, those restored by Jesus are called to follow. As we feed and protect, we have to remember that we are always still part of the flock. There is only one true shepherd, and we are all the sheep, and we need to listen to him and follow him. That is what he says to Peter, end of verse 19, follow me. See, it's funny, the old Peter had said to Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to lay my life down for you. I'll follow you wherever you go. He was so confident and proud that he had the power to bring glory to his master. But he failed. And now here is Peter, broken, exposed, stripped of all his pride. All he can do is confess, Jesus, but I love you. That's all I can offer. And Jesus says in verse 18, Peter, I know. Now you're ready. You're ready to give your life, to follow me where you couldn't go before. You're now ready to bring glory to God with your life. Verse 18 speaks of how Peter is going to be led and dressed by another, speaking of how he's going to die. And tradition says Peter was led away and crucified upside down on a Roman cross with his arms stretched out. And he did that because he didn't want to dishonor the way Jesus had died for him. Now you might think it's quite dark telling Peter, oh, that's how you're going to die. But I wonder if to Peter those were the most comforting words he could have heard that morning. To know that he was restored to bring glory to God, to the God he loved and followed with his life, to the, to the Lord who had given his life for him. So for us, I think we need to think about what it means to follow Jesus. If we love Jesus, do we follow Jesus like Peter did? Do we follow Jesus thinking, actually, I, I do need to think about laying life, my life down for Jesus to bring all glory to God? This isn't just about the extremes of martyrdom. Don't worry, I'm not telling you to get crucified upside down. But sacrifice means pain. Following Jesus means sacrifice. Sacrifice means things can be out of our control. But that is what a follower of Jesus does. So here's a question. If we love Jesus and we're following him, where are you sacrificing right now? Where might we need to sacrifice some of those things that we hold on to so dearly as we love and follow Jesus? Here's the third and final thing. People restored by Jesus are called to focus. Do you read that, that last bit, verses 20 onwards? It's a little bit weird, right? As Peter begins to physically follow Jesus down the beach, he looks back and sees the disciples. He sees John. And he asks Jesus, what about him? And it's clear that there was probably some sort of rumor based on Jesus' response is John actually going to die? Is, is he going to stay alive until Jesus returns? And John says, no, 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 that's not true. Let's put those rumors to bed. But there's more than that here. See, Peter has just been restored to follow Jesus, but already his focus drifts to John. Jesus says, what is that to you? Verse 22, right at the end, he says to Peter, you must follow me. Keep your focus. 
Here's one of the most simple tasks he gives us. If we love Jesus, we are to keep following him. If you trust me, I find it so easy to lose my focus. I find it so easy to often look at other churches and see the things that they're doing, the carol services that they have, the people that gather, and think, Jesus, what about them? To look at them and their, so, their successes and think, oh, if we just did it like that, maybe, just maybe. Or we can look at it more individually. If I had just those gifts, if I could just be like them, if I had personalities more like them. Some of us who are Peters want to be like John. Some of us who are Johns want to be like Peter. And Jesus is saying, look, what is that to you? Keep your focus. Mike, just keep following me. Because Jesus calls us all to feed his sheep, to follow him in some way. And each way may be quite different, and that is actually a beautiful thing. We need to celebrate the wider church. We need to celebrate other churches. We need to celebrate the gifts of others. We need Peters. We need Johns. We need Marys. Let's keep our focus. Celebrate the blessings of other churches who are seeing people saved. Because that means there are more and more people who are being restored, who are also saying, I too love the Lord Jesus. Keep our focus. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then follow me and feed my flock. Jesus restores those who love him. And he calls us to feed, to follow, and focus. I pray that we can be a church that does exactly that for his glory. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let me give you a bit of space just to consider what you've seen, what you've heard. Perhaps you are feeling your pride. Perhaps you are feeling exposed with your failings. Well, then come to Jesus. He laid his life down for you. He's done it all. He's saying, come. Do you love me? Is your heart for me? Then come. Know your sins are forgiven. Come. Let me shed your pride and show you that I am all you need. Lord Jesus, we, we want to praise you for your gentleness and your grace in restoring broken people like Peter, broken people like ourselves. To know that because of your great love for us, because of your great sacrifice for, sacrifice for us, you restore and redeem your people. Father, help us to see the beauty of Christ and to come and adore him, to confess, yes, Lord, I lay down all my pride and all my failings before you to know that I love you. That is all I can offer. And to know in that, Jesus pulls us into a new reality to call us to feed, to follow, to keep our focus. Pray, Lord, that you'd help us as a church to do that. Help us to keep following the one who died for us. In his name we pray. Amen.